Welcome to The Bull and the Bear, a money and markets podcast. We give you the advice you need to know to make investing safe and profitable. With The Bull and the Bear podcast, you'll get exclusive access to some of the top thinkers, analysts, advisors, and gurus in the investment business. And now for your hosts, Matt Clark and Charles Sizemore. And uh, welcome to an episode of The Bull and the Bear, a podcast by Money and Markets. I'm Matt Clark. Uh, joining me uh, remotely today, hopefully, uh, hopefully that situation doesn't doesn't last. But Charles Sizemore uh, is also with uh, with us. Charles, uh, how are you today, man? Doing all right. Uh, in there, how about you? You know, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, the The weather here in South Florida is nice, a little humid, but. Uh, you know, can't beat it. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a kid from Kansas, so the, the heat doesn't bother me neither does the humidity because I'm kind of used to it. But uh, but no, things are good. Things are good. Um, I think we just jump right in, man. Um, we, we, we've got uh, a couple of good things to talk about. Kind of to preview uh, ahead, um, you know, I want to talk about uh, unemployment. Uh, we had a story in Money Markets earlier this week uh, about uh, the, uh, the unemployment benefits increase by Congress. Uh, one of uh, one of our, our our good friends, Mike Carr, who is a, a brilliant uh, CMT, a chartered market technician, uh, had some great things to say about that. And then I want to touch on something that you wrote for us, Charles, about dividend stocks. And and I will say that that your your outcome I completely agree with, but I think it's good to present that information out to uh, out to the listeners, uh, and, and we'll talk more about that. But first off. I think the the big news in terms of markets for this week. I mean, there's several big things out this week. You had unemployment figures that were you know bad, but apparently not not as bad as they could have been, which is good news. I don't know that 4.6 million new new un, unemployed people on the rolls is necessarily good news, but uh, you know Wall Street it's seems, all seems relative. So. Apparently, it's all relative. Yep. Uh, apparently, it was okay to Wall Street. Um, then you know you've got some some first quarter earnings reports this week that weren't as bad as they they were projected. Also, uh, good news for Wall Street. Although, again, I'm not really sure that only only losing uh, three cents per share earnings as opposed to the forecasted seven cents per share is necessarily good news because you're still losing, but uh, Wall Street uh, thought otherwise. I think the big, uh, the big market mover this week, or at least the one that had the biggest impact early was oil. Um, you know, oil prices, uh, West Texas Intermediate crude oil, uh, absolutely tanked on Monday and it drove markets, uh, it drove investors scurrying for safety, uh, wanting to get well clear of equities, as I think at one point the May contract that expired on Thursday, I believe, had at one point reached, I want to say it was, in, negative, it was in the negative. No, it was negative 40. That's, yeah, negative, yeah, negative, yeah, negative, negative 40, $50 a barrel. I know, I know. And, and, and now don't be, don't, don't, don't be confused. If oil goes negative, that doesn't mean the gas station pays you to put gas in your car. You still got to pay for gas. What it, you know, it just means that it makes it a lot more difficult for oil producers, oil stores to 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 turn any kind of a profit, and, and I had the opportunity to talk with Matt Battiali, who is a, a, a geologist and and is uh, also uh, a solid investment guy for Banyan Hill Publishing, and, and and he had he had some some interesting takes on it, and and I think I I really didn't see it this way until he told me, but there's one thing. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there's multiple things, but one thing that's going to turn the oil market around, which we're already starting to see towards the end of this week, but there's one thing in particular that is going to uh, put oil back on track and even push it higher. 
and I didn't even think about this, but shale. And I, and I didn't, you know, that yeah. was something that I hadn't really kicked around until he explained it to me. And, and, and here's the rationale here. Right now, you have about, I think he said 7%, give or take, of the oil consumption now is based on shale. And when oil prices drop, because of clearly right now we have an issue with supply and demand, uh, and, and there's just no place to put it. Uh, Cushing, Oklahoma, which is a huge storage depot, is only about only has about 30 million barrels of capacity left to store, and we're getting that a day. Uh, you know, so there, there's no place to put it. And this is why oil prices dropped the way they did, is because basically there's nowhere to, there's nowhere to go with it. It's still being produced. You can't shut off. An there's oil nowhere to go. And, and, you know, oil producers are not going to shut off an oil well because it is an absolute pain to start it back up. And you're going to wind up with probably less uh, yield than you had when you before you shut it off. And oil producers don't want to do that. So you, you're stuck in this precarious situation where, you know, you, you have to keep pumping, but you just don't have anywhere to put it. And, and, and the demand of it, because, you know, we're all locked down, we're all... Uh, you know, no one's driving nearly as much and, and there's just no need for it. No one, no one needs as much gas or as much oil rather uh, as we do under normal circumstances. But here's what happens though. You have these shale companies which are highly speculative and extremely volatile. And when oil prices drop the way they are, you're going to see large players in the game. We're talking about ExxonMobil. We're talking about Chevron. We're talking about big oil players that are going to survive this no matter what. Are going to tell these shale producers, now nah, we're good. We don't we don't need it. We don't we don't want it. It's it's not necessary. And then you're going to see these shale producers basically go out of business. And that's sad. That, that you don't you don't want to see that. But in terms of uh, well, it's of, already starting. By the way, like that that's not this is not a hypothetical. I mean, like this this is already happening. Some of those shale producers are already there's already been some bankruptcies, and this isn't over. <laughs> and, yeah, and there's going to be more. There's going to be more of the of the seven. I think Matt had told me uh, of the seven big shale producers, all of them are in debt. All of them are, are financially skittish to say the least. And I think he expected all seven of them possibly to declare bankruptcy by, by years end, if not even sooner. And you're right, Charles, we're already seeing that now, but here's where, again, they move away from shale and they have to focus on just strict oil products that they're pulling themselves. Well, if you factor out shale, we're actually at a, and I can't remember the percentage, I want to say 30% to the downside in terms of supply and demand, meaning that because shale is such a large percentage of the oil consumption, when you factor that out, we're actually in a shortage. The problem is, is you've got to use what you've got before you can start bringing in those, the, the, yeah. the, that new oil supply, which... You know, once the economy gets back up, whether it be, you know, May, June, July, when people start getting back on the road and start being comfortable with, with, with what they're doing, we're going to see a turnaround. But, but I think the rationale, again, is you're going to see oil prices come back up. There's no question. You know, I don't, they're not going to hover down. We're already seeing June futures tick up. Well, um, they can't remain negative forever. I mean, like, like that's, that's, that's absolutely certain. They can't remain negative forever. Uh, I mean, you know, back to the shale thing, though, one, one interesting aspect of that is a, a typical shale well has a very short, useful life. You know, these things tend to, to you know, burn out the wrong word, but they tend to get exhausted uh, pretty quickly. I mean, the, the, the average life on these is just a couple of years. So it, it's one of those deals. If demand stays muted for a while, there just won't be any new drilling for a while. And, uh, you know, this, 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 
glut gets gets worked off relatively quickly. It doesn't get worked off next week, of, co- of no, course. No, no, but this you know, it months. gets yeah. And, and, and months, and, yeah. And then also, you know, you you still have new oil, you know, less of course, but you still have new oil coming down the pipelines. You have to use up all this the new stuff that's being produced today, and you have to start working off these stockpiles of crude that are just you know, filling to the brim every storage container in America. So this is, this is a month's, this is months to clean up. <laughs> oh, <laughs> months yeah, and yeah. months. Yeah. But, 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 but for sure, if you're an investor and, and you're trying to think about, you know, okay, is now a good time to invest in oil? Well, first off, it, there, there's, you know, there's a little bit different ways to go about investing in oil. It's not just, you know, it, it's not like buying gold. You can't just buy gold and, and, and have it shipped to your house. You know, you, so you have to be very cautious in terms of, of, how you buy oil, what, how, what you do when you, when you buy oil, is it better to buy, you know, is it better to buy maybe an oil ETF, which coincidentally wasn't even tracking oil at one point and, and it was being bought into by a, a good number of new investors. Not a good idea. The bottom line, I mean, you have to do your homework for sure. And, but Charles, I'll ask you, you know, if you are in the market to buy oil, whether that be as an ETF, whether that be as uh, maybe you want to buy a REIT that, uh, that handles oil platforms, or if you want to just buy oil futures. Tell me, what, you know, what, what do you see as being the best option right now for an investor to go about if they wanted to invest in oil and maybe take advantage of what prices are now compared to what they could be in August, September? Well, best thing to do, drain your swimming pool and get a really long hose <laughs> and, you know, all the way to Cushing, Oklahoma and just fill it up with oil. Uh, joking, of course, uh, your neighbors might frown on that. And uh, even if your neighbors let go, uh, the FBI might might look into what you were up to. Uh, anyway, right. So uh, you mentioned the ETFs. Uh, ETFs have been one of the worst ways to play this, uh, partially because they're just poorly constructed. Uh, the largest and most liquid oil ETF got pretty well obliterated and, and actually exacerbated the problem in the market because the, this, this ETF was essentially doing nothing but buying the front month contract and then rolling it over. And so with oil in contango, and this is getting into sort of wonky you know, finance speak, but what that means in plain English is because they were just buying and rolling over the front month contract, they were perpetually buying high, buying the contract when it was out. And then as it would approach uh, uh, expiration, they were having to sell low. So in addition to the, the decline in the price of oil, they had a negative roll yield. They were just getting scalped every time oh, yeah. they rolled this contract over. It was vicious. And so, you know, and, and it was awful. And, but, but the thing is, this isn't even new. This has been going on for years, uh, off and on for not, not every month, but off and on for years, this security has been a nightmare to own because of this negative roll yield thing, this, this contango issue. And most investors just don't know enough about the, you know, the nuts and bolts of the market to understand that. They think they're buying oil. They're not, it's not like the gold ETF where the gold ETF literally has gold bricks in a vault somewhere backing it up. Right. This is futures. And, and it's not like there's just a bunch of barrels of oil sitting in some warehouse somewhere. It's not like that. These are futures and they expire. And so, um, the, the, if you're going to uh, go the ETF route, you need to know what you're looking at. And some of these ETFs, um, they're more balanced. You know, there is, there's one ETF uh, that, that, that 
divides its portfolio across all 12 of the next 12, uh, 12 of the next month's uh, futures contracts. So there's a little bit of the contango issue to deal with, but, but not that bad. So right. you know, that's, if you're wanting to just play crude price appreciation, that is a route you can go. Um, I would say, you know, you're really better off probably not messing with the, um, just the, the actual commodity itself. You're probably better off if, if you want to play this game, uh, buy, buy some oil stocks. And, and, I, and there's, there's several, you could buy the majors, the super majors. You could buy the, sure. you know, the Exxons and Chevrons of the world. Sure. Uh, you could also buy things that are not, um, directly they're not directly tied to oil but they seem to be tracking it um natural gas pipeline companies interestingly enough have been beaten up almost as badly as crude oil uh despite the fact that they're natural gas not oil we're actually burning off natural gas we still use it in our homes for hot water and heating and everything else right and the, the supply glut issue is not i mean there, there is a glut of sorts it's not nearly it's as not bad as oil Oh, it's not as bad. And the prices aren't negative for crying out loud. Right. So a, a, lot, a lot of companies have been really beaten up and I, I would argue unfairly. So um, I, I think there's definitely indirect ways to play it. That's the way I would do it. I would just steer the ETFs, honestly. They're just very badly constructed for the most part. They are. And, and the thing you have to remember as an investor, whether you're new or seasoned or, or just kind of intermediate or hobby or whatever, is that you've got to do homework. You've got to do your research. You've got to know what you're getting into. Don't get into it just because you think it's the hot thing or you're going to make a quick buck because honestly, it's not going to happen. I mean, nine times out of 10, that's not what happens. It, it takes people years to build, to, to build, you know, solid fortunes or enough to retire on or things like that. It's not a, it's not a day trading thing. Oil is not a day trading type situation. So, you know, my personally, I would tell you to probably stay away from oil right now altogether. Um, I know the price is, is, is advantageous. There's, there's a lot of potential there. I just think it's, there's still too much in question in terms of how do we, when do we get out of this economic slump? When, you know, when do things get back to normal? And then how soon does the market try to rebound? Uh, and then more importantly is how soon can we, you know, polish off this glut that we're in right now to where it makes oil profitable again? Because I mean, a $10 million barrel cut by OPEC plus didn't really do anything. I mean, in fact, it did nothing at all. Well, I mean, you know, it, yeah, well, we, we were, you know, when OPEC cuts back, that's great for world supply and demand, but it doesn't stop the immediate issue of there's just a ton of oil in the Permian Basin of Texas and mm -hmm. elsewhere in the U.S. that's still being pumped. Whether uh, you tighten up the prices elsewhere, you could have uh, an imaginary where, you know, Brent crude goes to uh, infinity dollars a share, a, share, a barrel, you know, Brent crude goes to infinity dollars a barrel because, uh, there's high demand for oil, but you could have West Texas Intermediate at negative infinity because right. there's just you know, there's too much in this one much, local market. Yeah, there's too much so, in West um, Texas. Yeah, well, there's yeah, there's too much there's there's too much locally and nowhere to put it. So right, uh, this is this is where, <laughs> you know, like, like Warren Buffett says, the uh, it's when the tide goes out that you see who's been swimming naked. You know, this is when the tide goes out here, you're seeing just when the financial markets just kind of quit working. You know, this yeah. is just, this isn't how it's supposed to work, but the financial markets are not, they're not magical. At the end of the day, they're supported by real world transactions. And uh, right now it's, it's all pretty gummed up. Yeah. 
So recommendation wise, probably safe to stay away from oil ETFs. They're just not, I think Charles is right. They're just not constructed well. Um, they're, they're not gonna provide you any type of gains. I know ETFs sound attractive because it's diversification, but you know, I, you know, if you wanna get, if you wanna play safe and invest in oil, natural gas is a possibility. Your super majors, which provide nice dividends. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, you know, those are possibilities. My, my thought is to stay away from it completely for right now. Just not, not a good idea to get into it. To jump, at, jump to our next topic, uh, um, you know, th this is a story that, that uh, was probably in the making that nobody really realized. And, and, and that is, as, as part of the $2.2 trillion stimulus package passed by Congress last month and, and signed by President Trump, you know, it, it did what, what was intended to be a benefit to people who were furloughed because of mass closures and things like that. It provided a, a $600 a week additional benefit for unemployment. And I believe in some, in, in most instances, it extends unemployment out by a maximum of 39 weeks for states that have 26 weeks of unemployment, Florida not being one of those. Uh, Florida surprisingly only 12 weeks of unemployment and a maximum benefit of $240. Doesn't pay to be unemployed in Florida. However, uh, other places, other places it does. But what it's, what, what, what's happening here, and I think what people aren't understanding is that while it is providing a nice benefit to uh, those who are, un the, the millions who are unfortunately furloughed, and, and let's, let's jump off by saying, let's not make light of the fact that there are millions of people out of work because of this coronavirus pandemic. And, you know, it's not feasible. We're going to see businesses go out of go, go under, they're going to declare bankruptcy. We're already seeing big ones do that now, retail stores, things, things of that like. Um, but, but what the, 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 the problem that it has created is that on the flip side, you've got businesses who are, uh, applying for and re receiving the paycheck protection program, which was initially a $350 billion, uh, plan to help small businesses keep their payrolls. Um, and now there's about 310 billion added on top of that with the house vote yesterday and, and, and Trump signing it on Friday. But what has happened here is the $600 a week increase in unemployment has now made it more beneficial for people to stay unemployed and to not go back to work because they're basically making more money being unemployed than they would be if they went back to work. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to be a, a naysayer and say that these people are, you know, the people that are laid off and, and doing this are lazy or anything. Cause I don't think that's the case. I think if you really think about it, any smart person would, would do the, would do the math and think yeah, it makes more you sense. Do what you're in, you do what you're incentivized to do. You do what you're incentivized to do. You know, exactly. that makes sense. And, and, and if you're going to make more money, you know, on a federal program, albeit temporary, I mean, ends July 31st, but if, if you're going to make more money doing that, as opposed to going back to work, and we're talking about, you know, in some instances could be two, three, four hundred dollars a week, a week, not, not a month, a week in difference in pay, then why would you not? I mean, unemployment was meant, as, I, I, to me anyway, what was meant to be something that at least carried you through until, you know, from the time you lost your job uh, without of your, of, not of your own doing uh, until you got a new job. And this process wasn't, is not supposed to take a, an, an enormous amount of time. However, these are, you know, uncertain economic times. We are in a recession, but all that aside, this coronavirus pandemic, uh, you know, there's really no clear end. We, you know, Georgia, South Carolina have talked about opening back up again on a limited basis, but still millions of Americans are going to remain furloughed and unemployed. 
But the unintended consequence of what's happened here the, of Congress's plan is that now they are incentivizing people to not work. And it's putting people, business owners specifically, who, who have applied and have received the Paycheck Protection uh, uh, Plan money, it puts them in a huge, you know, a huge disadvantage because now they have to try to coerce their employees to come back. What do they do? They're in a rock, they're between a rock and a hard place. So, I, I, you know, again, I don't want to criticize because again, there are people that are out of work that do need the financial assistance and, and it is an issue, but I think this is going to cause a massive strain on businesses, regardless of whenever this economy opens, whether it be in two weeks or two months. Yeah, that you bring up a real good point. And, um, you know, let, let's say the businesses are, well, actually, there's so many different directions you can go with this. I mean, to start, it, it just the, the, the deals of the, the Paycheck Protection Plan is, you know, the loan is forgivable if you use it to maintain payroll. Well, if you cannot maintain payroll because your employees have done the math and they said, you know, look, boss, I'm sorry, but I got to do what's good for me and this is, you know, this is hundreds of dollars more per week that I need, then you can't hire them back, which means all of a sudden those loans have to be repaid. Well, I, if I'm John Q business owner, I'm going to think real hard about cashing the check. I mean, I guess I'll cash the check. Sure. But yeah, I, I know that I'm probably not going to spend the money. I'm going to leave it there in the bank so that if I need to just send it right back where it came, I will. Um, it's, I, I don't really know how this ends. And you, you also, you also have to believe that, and by the way, like yourself, I'm not trying to be a naysayer. If you're, if you're, if you're in charge right now, if you're the government, this is a tough situation to be in and there's no, there's no obvious answer, but I mean, it's, this, this could actually prolong the amount of time it takes to recover from this. If the small businesses effectively can't get labor when they need it in order to keep some low level of operations now, because it's more advantageous to be on on uh, unemployment yeah and then what do you do i mean I, at this point it's just stretching out the problem making it even worse so uh it's that this is just where we're this is just where we're at right now yeah i think you know uh, mike carr who's a, a chartered market analyst with uh, a chartered market technician rather with with banning hill publishing great guy this guy was a naval intelligence by the way in, in case you didn't know that <laughs> he started yeah he had a naval career in, in naval intelligence and, and now he's a, a huge options guy. He, he lectures for the New York School of Finance. Um, just, just a great guy, great guy to sit down and talk to, very, very analytical, knows his stuff. And, and, and you know, he, he called this the dumbest idea Congress has had in history. And, and, and I don't know there's a lot of, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily overstating it. I, I really don't. I, I, you know, I think that the intention was there. The intention was is that we want to try to give a leg up to, to people who were unfortunately furloughed, not of their own doing. I mean, these people, it's not like, you know, they're being furloughed because they're, they're not good workers. It's because the market's just not, you know, market's closed. There's, there's no one because shopping. Because the door was closed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the door of the shop got closed. Exactly, yeah. But, but what, what, yep. what has happened here is that, you know, because the amount is so much, I mean, $600 a week, that's, that, that isn't cheap. I mean, that certainly is more than what most people make anyway on top of, you know, whatever you know. get by your maximum benefit, you know, by, by whatever state you live in anyway. So now they've just compounded the issue. So while the con while, while the intention was probably okay, the consequence is going to provide, is going to be very bad for specifically small businesses. And I think to your point about taking it longer, it's certainly going to take longer for these small businesses to open because they can't afford to hire anyone. 
So they're going to have to wait until July 31st before they can hire anyone because that'll be when people come off of their, uh, of their, uh, of their unemployment stimulus. So that just makes things worse. And, and I don't know what an answer is. I mean, I'm not a politician, never want to be, never will be. Covered politics, don't have any interest in being in it. Um, I, I think maybe $600 might have been too much. Um, I think you know, because, again, that's, if you take the average wage, that's, that's pretty high. And I don't know if this, if this was necessarily a, yeah. I think I think Republicans looked at it and thought, wait a minute, is this a typo? Did you mean $60 a week or is it actually 600? And, you know, I don't know. I, I, I saw, I saw somewhere that this could be just kind of a backdoor play. It, you, look at, well, you, minimum wage. you don't know what the incentive would be. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, maybe, but otherwise you, you don't know what the incentive would be to pay somebody more. That, I mean, the whole idea of unemployment is to keep somebody afloat while they're out of a job. It's a bridge. Um, and it should, it's a bridge. It should be equal to what they were making before, or maybe a little bit less. I mean, it's okay if it's a little bit less, just it's, again, this is a, a bandaid, right. but the idea of it being more is just a very strange, uh, very hard to explain phenomenon. Yeah. $600 is way too much. I mean, 300, maybe 200, maybe, uh, you know, I don't know, but I, I get it. And again, I'm not trying to suggest that we should be undercutting those who are unemployed through no fault of their own. I'm not. And I don't think, and, and Charles isn't either. I, I just think that the fact of the matter is, is that this is put, this is going to put a tremendous strain on, on small businesses specifically um, because it is making it, uh, it doesn't make any economical sense to try to go back to work if you're making more than, than you would be if you were working. And for small business owners, that puts huge pressure on you because now how do you find your, how do you find work once the economy reopens? Once the doors reopen in Georgia, South Carolina, Florida, Texas, California, if you are an, if if you're a small business owner and most of your employees have told you, yeah, you know what, I don't really think I'm going to go back to work right now because it doesn't make any economic sense. What do you do? Where where do you find your workforce? Where do how do you how do you open your doors back up when you don't have enough employees to staff? And it creates a a, a huge problem, and it's something that I just don't think Congress really thought out um, in, in a rush to try to pass some kind of stimulus plan, but. Uh, politics aside. One last thing before we, uh, before we, we, yeah, we get out of here. Agree. And uh, Charles, you actually wrote this in Money and Markets, and, and I found it very interesting. And it was uh, basically asking the question, is our dividend stock still worth owning? And, and I know for me, when I present recommendations to the readers of Money and Markets, one of the first things I look for, or at least try to look for, are, are stocks that have, you know, one, a, a relatively low beta compared to their, uh, uh, their 60 month beta is relatively low compared to what their industry average is. Um, I try to look at, you know, price to cash flow. Do they, are they, are they in good shape uh, if they have a dividend because price to cash flow helps support, help, helps support that dividend and, and can actually increase it. And, and, but you raise an interesting question. And I guess I want to, you know, walk through real briefly, you know, I would want to ask, you know, are there what is a what what is the what is a, a fundamental problem with dividend stocks? Well, the biggest problem with dividend stocks right now is that uh, they're paying less in dividends than they used to. Uh, dividend cuts are uh, really really uh, a problem right now. So a, a lot of stocks that uh, have paid consistent dividends for years, maybe even decades, that does look a little bit questionable right now. Uh, Particularly uh, in, in some of the harder hit sectors, like, like real estate. You know, real estate is is one of the best, most consistent uh, producers of, of of income. But that's only when people actually pay their rent, and right. uh, that's 
a little bit uh, a little bit dodgy right now. But uh, you know, that said, let's say you find um, a company that's paying a good dividend. Uh, you think it's highly likely that the, the dividend is going to uh, you know, continue to be paid in this environment. Uh, you know, not likely to be cut. Um, it's if, if if you think the market is going to be going sideways for a while, and I think that that's not an unrealistic expectation. You know, we had the market collapse on us, and then it roared back and made back about half the loss. But it's still down by let's just call it twenty percent right now. It's it's changing by the by the hour, of course. But uh, right now uh, the market's still down roughly twenty percent. But remember, yeah, the market is already looking a little bit frothy long before it hit its recent highs. You know, like, right. like we're basically back up to where we were, you know, late last year. Right. And that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's a rather frothy stock market at a time when, you know, corporate earnings are collapsing and, you know, it's, we'll probably get some, some bankruptcies here. Like this is, this oh, yeah. is, this is a, a, a dicey time. So, so with all that said, um, you know, the dividend may be the only return you really get in a lot of your stocks for the next, you know, several months. I mean, maybe oh, even a couple sure. years. I mean, if this turns into a proper bear market. So, um, yeah, I did an analysis. I looked at, um, a pipeline stock that I'd, you know, followed for years and invested in, you know, now and then if you take the stock price back to, um, all the way back to about 2010, the company's made no money in, in the last decade. Literally the stock price no has share price growth at all in no, a decade. No share price. No growth share price all. growth. In fact, negative. In ten years. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just call it flat. Yeah. If, if you move it by a couple <laughs> days, either way, I mean, it, right, you, right. you can either get zero, one percent, negative one percent, but let's just call it flat. <laughs> right. No, no, no growth in ten years at a time when the S and P five hundred has exploded higher. That looks really bad. However when you take into account the value of reinvested dividends, if you had had this on a dividend drip where you just bought new shares, the dividends, you would have been up about 120%. Now, 120% still trails what the S&P did. I'm, I'm not suggesting 120% is a, just amazing, fantastic return over 10 years, because it's not. However, it's respectable. You know, 120% over 10 years is a respectable return. So dividends matter. Yeah, dividends absolutely matter. For, you know, in the case of this stock, uh, I, I don't think we're naming tickers on this, but, which is fine. But in the case of this stock, uh, again, absolutely no share price growth in a decade. Yet investors that stuck with it would have enjoyed 120% return. You know, that, that's not shabby. No, it's not bad, but I think I think you, you actually raise a, a point, and I'll we'll we'll close out with with this, and that is, you know, don't just buy a stock based on its yield, and 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 think that it's going to get better or stay the same because you never know. I, you have to do you have to do some research, and that's why, like I said, when I look at it, I look at what the price to cash flow is, I look at what their beta is, how how volatile are they, you know, before I say, okay, well, this has a nice dividend yield of three, four percent, whatever. Um, you know, there's a lot more factor than that. I mean, that dividend you look at initially, they paid in the first quarter of 2020 may look impressive, but guess what? That dividend in the second quarter, if it's there, it may not be where you think it is. So you've yep. got to really look hard at, at, at what you're, at what you're trying to invest in. So, um, I think you bring well, up some good points. Well, and, you, you raise a good point as well. Uh, the other issue, and this is underappreciated, 
companies will do anything they reasonably can to defend their dividend. And the reason is it looks bad when you cut it. Like, right. like you exactly. cut the dividend and investors go crazy. And so companies will pull out all the stops to maintain the dividend as long as they That's can. Right. That's right. There is a problem. There is a problem with that though, because if the company really can't afford the dividend, but it's focusing all of its financial power on keeping it anyway, that means it's taking cash flow away from perhaps other priorities that could put the company on better financial footing. That's right. Uh, you know, expansion into other industries, uh, perhaps yeah. debt reduction, you know, you name it. So uh, companies, yeah, I, I get why they do everything. They pull out all the stops to keep the dividend. I mean, that's, that's, it's a reputational thing and I, it matters, but you know, you don't want to be, as an investor, you have a choice. You don't necessarily want to be in a stock that's just doing all it can to maintain a dividend it can't really afford. That's not That's right. good for the long-term health of the investment. Yep. So again, I, you know, bottom line here, as we've talked about with everything from oil to, to, to dividend stocks, do your homework, check your work, make sure that you know what you're getting into. Don't do it just because you think it is the hot thing to get into because that is ultimately the wrong reason. And the other thing is, is don't risk any more than you're willing to lose because there are no guarantees in life and there certainly are no guarantees in the market. Uh, so, you know, if you're, if you're investing money, make sure you're willing to part ways with it because it, you know, it is a much higher probability that you will lose money than you will make it. And with today's uncertain economic, you know, economic conditions, it's probably more so, but uh, Charles, it was good to, to have you on. We're going to do this again every week. Uh, it was, I hope uh, that uh, you get to yes, <laughs> get, get your travel thing situated and, and uh, get yourself on, uh, on better footing. But uh, it was great to, great to have you this week. We'll uh, do it again next week. You've been listening to uh, The Bull and the Bear, a Money and Markets podcast. He is Charles Sizemore. I am Matt Clark. We'll talk again uh, next week. Have a, uh, have a great week, everybody. You've been listening to The Bull and the Bear, a Money and Markets podcast. Tune in each week to hear insights on how to make investing safe and profitable for you.